Well, we've been making our way through 1 Peter, and it's, it's a really good letter for our time, quite frankly. In reflection, it would have been a great, it would have been good to go through 1 Peter in our How We Fight series, but that's okay, uh, because there's a lot of crossover, I guess, talking about how do we live in, in a culture that's quite resistant to, to God's kingdom. And so 1 Peter's been, been great like that. It's, he's painting a picture of, the, of God's kingdom on, on earth and really our part in that. And so he wrote this letter to the churches and he expected them to distribute it around the churches and they did. And we get it today as well, which is amazing. It's helpful because the kingdom of heaven often looks different to the culture that we, we might find ourselves in. You know, it, sometimes there's like a clash. feels like that anyway. But it's not about the clash that should always be the focus for us. Sometimes that's what we do focus on. For me, it's about how we invite people into his kingdom. You know, and, and how the way we live and, quite frankly, who we are as people reflects his kingdom within a culture that sometimes clashes with God's kingdom. And Jesus would often say, as he walked around during his years of ministry, the kingdom is here. You know, the, the kingdom of heaven is near or here. Those are the sorts of things he would say. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. You know, it is like the, the separation of heaven and earth happened you know, around that Garden of Eden time. Around the, we call it the fall. And, and there's this sense that heaven and earth are merging and, and Jesus is, is the instigator of that. And we know that it'll be completely merged again on his return. But there, there is a, an overlap now. The kingdom is here. Does that make sense? Good, because I heard it on a podcast this week and I thought it was really good. <laughs> Shouldn't claim it for myself. Peter says a few times so far to these Christians in his letter, you're, you're like foreigners. You know, in other words... This kingdom that we're part of, sometimes we just, what goes on around us, you know, the stuff that, that's going on in the world, the evil that we see, it's like, this doesn't sit with us right. You know, we feel, sometimes we feel like foreigners, even in our own country, stuff can happen. There's different values, there's a different purpose about life even. And Jesus, of course, is our ultimate authority, you know, he's our ultimate king. It's not that we're to be disconnected to the place and community that God has put us, because there's a purpose for that. It's that our submission to Jesus in the kingdom contrasts to our old life when the only person we really submitted to before we followed Jesus was us. You know, We might admire people and politicians, perhaps, if you're one of those rare people, but really, this is how it was. It was the kingdom of me. I'm, I'm only caring about me. That's... Number one, whereas now we've, we've gone, I'm in the kingdom of God. That's, that's the difference when we said yes to Jesus. Peter's helpfully leading us through this journey in his letters, I think, into the, what this new life is about, this kingdom life is about. Now, a quick word about today. You've heard us use the word context before when we talk about good biblical interpretation, Right? And you understand what that means. It means that sometimes we have to, in fact, almost always, we have to consider the original audience that the author had in mind when he was writing. Even though we're the audience as well, 
there was different context of them, different cultures and stuff like that. So today in particular, you'll notice that. And you can read sometimes scriptures and you feel like that's kind of jarring for us, but we've got to understand context. Because today Peter's going to talk about submission to authority in three areas, uh, uh, authority to submission to authority in governments. Then he talks about slave owners, or slaves actually. That one where you go, whoa. And then he's going to talk about marriages, and sometimes with that one we go, whoa, as well. But you've got you to stay with me. But we've got to understand that all three of those areas were very different to Peter's time than ours, all right? When we interpret the Bible, we start with considering the context. How far away is it from our context? What's the biblical principle? Because it is still God's truth for, that applies to us today. And how are we going to cross that bridge into our time as well? Not trying to twist the Bible, please be assured. Uh, it's obvious we're talking about a context where Christians lived under a dictator, for example, who didn't recognize uh, their faith, particularly Christianity, was not an authorized religion. So Peter, Peter says, submit to them, and I'll talk about that. And they lived in a time when slavery was common, albeit quite different to what we know slavery to be, but we're going to talk about that. And then they lived in a time when women were not seen as equal and, and men did have this kind of ultimate authority over, over women and sometimes they were kind of viewed um, more as property than people in some ways. So, you know, that's the context that this was written into. We don't like it, but it's how it was. And while the good news is the gospel challenges all three of those things, it's not actually today's sermon. I've preached about them before. Today is about this thing that Peter talks about, this idea of submitting to authority, even authority that does not necessarily align with God. It's challenging for us as we read these things. It's not a message on how we, as his followers, exercise authority. That's a good message to have, but that's not today's message. So I just need you to have that distinction in your mind as we read through and, and pull it apart today. Is everyone with me so far? Good, that means no one should get up and leave and be upset. In fact, if you do disagree with anything I say today, that's okay. Please just come and talk to me afterwards and we'll be good. Let's get reading, though. So first thing, first point, Peter says, you, you have to submit to government leaders as a witness to Christ. All right, here's what he said, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed... For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. I guess he's a, there's an assumption there that generally governments should be doing the right thing, you know, law and order and stuff like that. We're going to verse 15. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Good point. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You know, there was a, um, a puppet king around this time that the Romans put in place. Hard to respect, quite frankly, because he didn't always do, the succession of those kings didn't do very well. Now, you've got to remember, not a democracy, not a free society. The Romans made it hard for Christians. We know there was persecution for Christians, including the readers of this letter, Think about them reading these words. We know the society in general was filled with a lot of injustice. 
There's a lot of good, bad stuff going on. There was suffering as well. Now, we need to be careful because Peter doesn't say, ignore all that. You know, just accept it all. He doesn't, doesn't say that in there. Accept all the wrong things that the king does. That's not what Peter said. So we've got to be careful. Don't ignore the plight of those doing it tough. Peter doesn't say you shouldn't advocate for them. That's not in there either. So when we talk about this idea of submitting to authority, don't read into it what he's not saying. He doesn't say side with the Romans. He doesn't say agree with their injustice. He doesn't say any of that. The key point here is that those living in the kingdom of God behave honorably even to the leaders above them they don't agree with in such a way that it really should still reflect Jesus. How we behave to our leaders should reflect Jesus. Okay? It's not the church's job to lead an armed revolution, but we do have a role in encouraging governments and to bring justice and things like that. You've got to remember what Jeremiah told the Israelites. They were in captivity in Babylon, and he said, you should work for the peace of the city, peace and prosperity of the city that you live. Even though they were, they were literally ripped out of their homes and taken to another country. You're reflecting Jesus. Instead of rebelling and working against the peace of the city, we submit as we are able, even though things often go against us. So in our context, that doesn't mean we can't challenge governments you know, through petition, through democratic processes or in the court of law, and, and certainly through elections and stuff like that. So don't hear the wrong message today. I'm not saying that you just have to accept everything and say nothing. That's not the message today. It's about how we behave and submit to those in authority. It's about being respectful and peaceful. We do it differently. When we want to bring change, we do it differently to others who, who, who might use methods such as armed rebellion, etc., even though I love Les Miserables, you know, it's one of the best musicals ever, who's with me? You know, that armed rebellion idea, perhaps, perhaps, you know, there's a sense of injustice and all that sort of stuff. We've got to think about how, what would Jesus do? That's, that's the response. Peter says, honorable lives can actually be effective. More effective than perhaps a dishonorable pushback. You know, attacking, yelling, abusing, disrupting may have the opposite effect and possibly misrepresent Christ to the world. So there's nuance in this. I get it. You might be thinking, but what about this? But what about that? I'm just hoping you can get a general principle here. By all means, fight for injustice. Fight against injustice. <laughs> for justice. Got to get that right. And peace. Fight for peace. Fight against bad policy. But how you do it. How you do it is the principle I'm pulling out of this today. We overcome evil by doing good. Remember, we've been talking about that. That also means we diligently follow the laws of the land unless it violates our commitment to God. Point number two, and I'm going to read the scripture in a second, but the point is this. Submit to work and school leaders as a witness to Christ. And you'll see what I mean in a second. Because this one's tricky. Peter's going to address slaves there's a big contextual gap here, that's for sure. Their context is this. Slavery was very much a part of their culture and their society at the time. I'm not saying it's right, and Peter's not saying it's right. 
but it was there. It probably wasn't the, like the sla- slavery we often think of. You know, we often think of uh, the evil that happened when Africans were taken to America and treated terribly, not like humans, you know, forced into this um, terrible time of slavery with no freedoms, no respect. It was a, it was a real... It was a real evil. And this slavery in Peter's time, had it, it probably had evil aspects to it as well. But in general, it was an agreement that people came to voluntarily, albeit some people probably felt they had no choice, perhaps. It was often out, out of desperation. And people, no doubt, were taken advantage of. The slave owner or the master would provide compensation, accommodation, food, and things like that. It usually had an end date, though, in this, in this context. It wasn't for forever. It was an agreed-upon end date. And many slaves at this time actually held positions of, of importance and responsibility and were paid properly. And for many, they would continue on like that. They'd get to their end date and just say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't the evil side of, of what we sometimes think it is. But no doubt they were bound to their master and gave up some of their freedoms, and if your master turned out to be a tyrant, you're kind of stuck with that tyrant. Peter doesn't give any instructions to slave masters here in this passage. However, the Bible does talk about it. Paul talks about it in Ephesians, and he talks very much about uh, respect, and he says in Galatians, there is no slave or free. They're all one in Christ Jesus. You know, there's not supposed to be these levels of people in society, which we'll get to again a little bit later. It was actually radical thinking at the time, by the way. Let's read and I'll give you some more thoughts. So verse 18, You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. That's an awesome passage, hey? And we read it and we go, whoa. What's that doing in the Bible? Remember the context. Because it doesn't sit right with us at first. Keep in mind, the slaves couldn't just up and change slave masters like we can today. I'm not saying that, by the way, your bosses are your slave masters. But you know what I mean. We can change jobs if it's not going well. Sometimes, often they couldn't. There is still, by the way, forms of slavery around the world that we would classify as very evil. That does still happen. Not so much in our context, though. This is all about how Christians behave is what Peter's talking to, though. We can take this principle into our workplace, into our schools, into our universities, as employees and as students. The question is, how do we respond to human authority as Christians? The answer, I think Peter's saying, is honourably... And with respect, reflect Jesus and how you do that. Even when it's not going well. Even when it's hard. We don't behave in self-centered ways. We don't behave in disrespectful ways. We respond to genuine concerns and matters of injustice with respect and peace. We maintain language and attitudes that reflect Jesus at all times. Sometimes it means we may have to quietly endure and let our peace-loving attitude, say, in a work situation bring change that may be what we have to do god may have us in that place for that season for a reason but i will also say this sometimes it's okay to flee as well 
especially if there's an abusive or damaging situation that may be destroying you. And I guess that some, somewhat disagrees a little bit with what Peter's saying, but I'm taking the principle of doing this like Jesus would want us to, how we respond. I think of uh, David. Before he was king, he quietly endured Saul's growing toxic culture around him. And he quietly he endured a bit like what Peter was saying in this passage here. He's a good example. He never... Uh, there was a point, though, where David did flee, right? He did have to leave. And he's a good example. He, he never attacked Saul. He never led a rebellion against him, even when he could easily have. Even when he had an opportunity to kill Saul, he was trying to kill him, literally. He didn't do it. Saul was chasing him down. His behavior reflected honorably his faith in God. So in work situations, when things can be toxic or not healthy, we don't join into the toxic and unhealthy things that are going on there. Okay, this is where I want us to get to today. We, we don't join in there because we, we fight different. You know, we, we overcome evil by doing good. We're not hypocrites. Remember this from a few weeks ago. Talk about peace and love and all that sort of stuff and then go into the workplace and then we join into the opposite of that. We don't use unkind words. That was another thing Peter said a few weeks ago. Unkind speech. We don't do it even when it is hard and toxic. We choose to not damage others. We work for peace. We have to reflect the kingdom of God. When arrogant or controlling people cause trouble, we don't fight fire with fire. We bring a spirit of peace and calm. This is why I really love that testimony from Sharon Ward a few weeks ago, if you were here. We were still over in that building over there. Started in a hospital many years ago and was awful. People couldn't wait to get out of the, the ward that she was on. Toxic environment. Arrogant people. And for some reason, God told her to stay. And it changed. Transformed. And now people are clamoring to be on that ward. And so I guess I'm take, trying to take this principle from what Peter's saying and saying it's, there is a difference that we can make. We represent the kingdom and when we're in, under authority, how we do that authority, how we submit to that authority has to reflect Jesus. And, I, and again, I just say there's a lot of nuance in this. It's not that real black and white. It's hard to preach, quite frankly, for you to, to receive and understand how I apply this. But I hope you can see it. Peter says when you do this sort of stuff for the right reasons, God is pleased. That's what it says. Pleased with you. And then he points to Jesus as the, as the example. And he goes to Isaiah. And this is verse 21. In chapter 2, for God called... 3, 2, yes. 2, yeah. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. I'll keep reading. He never sinned. I think this is the quote from Isaiah or, or a psalm. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. 
He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. That is Isaiah. Oh, sorry, one more verse. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So Peter's saying, look, look at Jesus as our example when he faced it, the, the, the difficult stuff, when the authorities were against him. All right, moving on to the next one. You love this one. Number three, husbands and wives submit to each other as a witness to Christ. Everyone sitting up on the edge of their seat? We're now in chapter three. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. All right. Question. <laughs> Should wives submit to their husbands? Should husbands submit to their wives? Oh, good. We're on the same page. There is some stuff for husbands coming up, so we're all good. I want to be clear. The scripture paints a picture of husbands and wives submitting to each other. This is Peter talking, but Paul says in Ephesians that husbands and wives should submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And otherwise, and otherwise once again, this submission idea follows the example of Jesus. And we do it in our marriages as well. He made a big deal about how husbands, this is Paul still I'm talking about, he made a big deal about how husbands need to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And again, this was radical thinking for their context and their culture. What? You're talking about marriage is actually about love and respect and submission to each other. And in that culture, that was radical thinking. That was a time when women were treated more like possessions sometimes, you know, than, than people. Now, it's true that Paul says husbands have a headship in, the, in his letters as well. Peter kind of alludes to the same thing or a similar thing. And the debate is often about whether that's, uh, this is another submission argument based on the cultural patriarchal context or not. Is it a biblical truth that follows through or are they giving a, um, a nod to the, con to the context or the culture at the time? And I can accept your interpretation if that's you, that husbands have a headship role. But personally, I interpret this as a concession to that context. And I say that because the scriptures are so clear about there being no favorites in the kingdom. Paul says in Galatians 3, we come back to that again, no male or female, no um, slave or free, no Jew or Gentile, all one in Christ Jesus. Very important scripture. And this, quite frankly, is how Shelley and I choose to live out our marriage, equal and submissive to each other. You know, I don't have a trump card in our marriage. If we disagree, there's no I'm putting my foot down for us just because I'm a male. The Bible said to me, Nathan, when you and Shelley get married, you are one. That's the way, I, that's the way we chose to live it. It's kind of like the way I see the Trinity, you know, the co-equal. I see us as co-equal. That's how I read the Bible. That's how we live it out. And I understand there's different views about this. And that's okay. You're welcome to set me straight later. But I also note that when Peter says here for wives to submit to their husbands, he actually gives a reason. Did you pick up on that? He gives a reason. Let's put it back up, please, Jared, that scripture. 
You wives must accept the authority of your husbands then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So the reason was, if your husband is not a believer, how you love and respect him will actually be a witness of Jesus because they're in that context of when the husbands had authority over their wives. If the whole context of this passage was about respecting authority, the the authority of an emperor who's a dictator, the authority of a slave and a master, and the authority of a husband in a strongly patriarchal society, the main point, in my opinion, is how we respect those authority figures in order to reflect the kingdom, even when those authorities aren't following the ways of God. The main point is not that God condones the way those authority figures treat me or others. The point is how I respond, reflect him. Because we're different. Then Peter gives some suggestions. Uh, this one is another one of those ones I'm going to read. Where I'm like, I don't know, I don't really want to read it, but it's in the words I'm going to. It's on how women should dress. And I don't really have any business telling you women how to dress. But there's a reason, or there's a, there's a principle in here that we're going to get, okay? Verse 3. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of or of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewellery, or beautiful clothes, you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accept the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Here's the point. It's not a command to not do your hair nicely. It doesn't, say you, it's, it doesn't say it's forbidden or to dress nicely. He's saying, this is the point, be more concerned about inner beauty. And we men can take this on as well. Be more concerned about inner beauty than outward beauty. And the most beautiful thing you can put on is trust in God. And he even says, trust in, in your spouse as well. All right, husbands, your turn, because it's real quiet. Verse number seven, (laughs) in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. The same way. wasn't different way. The same way. Honor your wife, husbands. Honor your wife. Do you know what that means? Elevate her. That's what honor means. That's the opposite of that context that they were coming out of, which is often dishonor your wife. Honor your wife means elevate her. High enough that you willingly submit to her as she submits to you. We'll keep reading. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you. He's talking about, you know, just our physical makeup. Don't get worried about that. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. So your prayers will will not be hindered. That's a good warning for us, Ben. Don't you dare treat your wife dishonorably. It's almost like Peter says, that's like a blockage right there to God in your prayers. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. You know, in God's kingdom, we're heirs together. 
See, this is the key for me and why I see Shelley and I as equal in authority. And again, if you disagree, it's okay. We're still brothers and sisters. But we, we have a new life in Christ, both Shelley and I. So I hold on to Galatians 3 again. No male or female. One in Christ. That's the new life. Equal in partner in God's gift of new life. Where God reigns in his kingdom, that's how we see each other. That old curse from Genesis where after the fall in the garden, where God says, this is the consequence of the fall. Men will rule over women. That, I'm, I'm trying to undo that in our marriage. This is how I'm interpreting things. I know some of you may be struggling with this a little bit. It's okay. Please see me after. The new way is where we're all one in Christ is how I see it. And here's what it looks like. We'll go to verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. For goodness sake, we have to be tender-hearted. And keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. It's all in this verse right here. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Don't do it. It's one of those don't do it moments that we find in the scriptures. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Someone insults you, someone hurts you. The way of Jesus is bless them. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing for the scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. That is a psalm that he's quoting. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, and the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. I mean, there's whole sermons in, this, in that, what I've just read out to you there, but I'm not going to do that. But in other words, lovingly submit to each other. Christian submission is a beautiful reflection of the kingdom. It's where I don't have to be right. If you have a tendency to have to be right all the time, you're kind of rubbing up against what Jesus is telling us here. And it kind of, it just, it has tendencies of arrogance and tendencies, if I dare say it, of, of evil. I don't have to get my way. I'm very interested in, I'm very interested in you doing well. I'm not interested in arguing and fighting and getting offended. I'm, I'm not going to take on bitterness. I choose not to. I'm not going to be arrogant. When someone insults me, what did he say? Return it with a blessing. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Like, what? immediately someone insults us, we're offended. Got to get back at them, even if it's behind their back. No way I'm receiving that. Hard thing to do with the Holy Spirit's power. The way of the kingdom is blessing. Hey, I'm with all of you guys. It's hard. It's a hard thing to do. I'm going to evaluate myself for arrogance and strive constantly for humility because that was again mentioned. That's the kingdom right there. This is why, this is, when we talk about authority, when God puts us in a position of authority, he's looking for humility. humility. He's not looking for pride. He works with the humble. 
The Psalm Peter quote says that these are the keys to enjoying life. Who wants to enjoy life? Some of us do. That's good. The keys to enjoying life. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. I don't care if we're frustrated or annoyed or whatever. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. It's a better life anyway. Make peace with people. Be honest. Turn from evil. Do good. All those things are in there. Apparently, God only watches over such people. His, his ears are open to their prayers. You want to get your prayers answered even, if I can put it this way? Don't hinder them. <laughs> don't hinder them. All right. I'll wrap up. You're all still here. <laughs> I must admit, when I chose to do First Peter and I was reading ahead, I felt a little anxious about this part, but God's good, and, he's, and we see what he's saying, don't we? When we interpret his scriptures properly, it's good for us. It's good for us. This is the kingdom we live in, and Christian submission aligns with God's kingdom. How we submit should be respectful and honorable and reflect him to our world. We do that together, church? All right. Let's pray. Father, thanks for walking through this scripture with us today. Even the tricky bits. And maybe not all of our questions are answered, quite frankly. I understand that, Lord. But I pray that you, the truth of, of your word will, will just resound deeply in our hearts. I thank you for your word, God. It's, it's so good for us. And I just pray as your church, we'll understand what, these, what this means for us. As we continue to reflect and be that model, you know, that picture of heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. As, as heaven invades earth through Jesus, I pray, Lord, that that's, that's exactly how we are as your church. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, change us today. And Lord, if we've been perhaps challenged or convicted in any way, God, we submit that to you and confess and repent. And as we go back into our workplaces, our, our universities, our schools, how we submit to authority, even the bad authority, Lord, I want to may it reflect you, I pray. And Lord, I pray also this morning for the marriages represented here, that we would understand or that we would embrace your picture of marriage. I understand, Lord, that it's, there's difficult um, relationships, perhaps even in this room today. I pray your blessing over them, Lord. I pray, God, um, for your Holy Spirit to, to bring reconciliation and peace and joy where, if it's lacking. God, we bring these things to you as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.